0: Well, good morning, Southlands. It's so good to uh, gather together around God's word and to celebrate all the graduates. Once again, well done for all of your hard work and all of your study. My name is Ryan and I'm one of the pastors here at Southlands and I have the bittersweet privilege of concluding our nine month series in the book of Romans today. And what i want to say to that is well done southlands this has been a deep and rich book that has taken a lot of thought and energy and you have journeyed with us and followed through the text so well and today we come to an end of nine months of devotion to god's word and i will try my best to summarize and help us move forward in a way that we carry the book of romans with us as we move forward as a church you know throughout the book of romans paul has been building a case for healthy churches that understand the righteousness of God. Tim Mackey, who's a Bible scholar and founder of the Bible Project, summarizes the book like this. Because of their faith in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles are now a part of Abraham's family, a new humanity that is being transformed by God's spirit. And this is all how God is fulfilling his ancient promises which means the only reasonable response is for Jews and non-Jews to be united as the church. As well put of a summary as that is, it's hard to summarize an entire book with just words, so let's think of a picture. It's kind of like throughout the book of Romans, Paul has been building something. He's been building a table, and not just any table, but a communion table, And no, I don't mean the tables we have here in the studio that we set the little crackers on. I mean more of like a picnic bench, a table where we can meet with God and we can be at peace in harmony with each other. It's almost like every chapter Paul has been drawing up designs and buying material and putting this table together in a very specific way. In chapters one through three, Paul laid the crucial foundation that each and every one of us, sinner and saint alike, we all come to God with an equal need for forgiveness of sin. And Paul has designed this communion table, this fellowship table in such a way that nobody could ever question that the only way we come together as a church in God's presence is because of the costly and radical grace of Jesus Christ that invited us to participate and feast on what God has done for us. You know, Paul has a vision of this table and it's just teeming with life. People are laughing together, they're eating together, they're praying together, they're meeting with God. This this table is a place that people from all walks of life with different perspectives and different backgrounds can come together in delight in the work that God has done for them. And as Paul comes to an end of his letter, he has one thing in mind, to protect this table. He has one thing in mind, and he knows from all of his travels and all of his work that the most dangerous thing, the thing that could rot and corrupt and ruin this table the most, is disunity within the church. It's almost like in the verses we're going to read, Paul is applying a stainer or a sealer to this beautiful communion table and as he is his hands are filled with blisters and cuts from his labor and i could just see him petitioning and praying as he goes coat after coat to protect this table pleading with this church to not step into divisions but to be united around the gospel of jesus christ and so if you have your bibles please open up and turn with me to romans 16 as we conclude nine months in the book of Romans. We're gonna read verses 17 through 20, and then we'll take the rest of the chapter as we move along. Romans 16, verse 17. I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. These are Paul's last words. And like all last words, they have great importance and significance. And really, Paul's last words are are two actions that he wants this church to take. The first is to watch out for. And the second is to avoid. And so we're going to use the language of seek and destroy. The first thing I want to say from this passage is that Paul is pleading with this church that above all, they would seek and destroy division in the church. And now what what Paul has in mind here is not just you like one football team and I like another, or we disagree around preference. No, no, no. He's talking about something much bigger. He's talking about Dividing around anything that's different from the gospel of Jesus that he has delivered to this community. You know, Paul is in this moment declaring war on any and all division in the church. It's like each and every member of the church is responsible to seek and destroy division within the community. Now the gospel that Paul has been teaching is this, that regardless of your upbringing or your spirituality or your background or even your theology, that we all come to God with equal need. And the only way that we are redeemed and brought into the life that God offers is by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's His grace and it's faith in His grace that gives us access not only to forgiveness of our sin, Not only does the judgment of God pass over us, but we are given the life of the spirit so we can love one another and we can serve God. And Paul is saying that's the standard that you adhere to. That's the ruler by which we measure and deal with division in the church. Paul is essentially calling the church to seek and destroy any action or attitude that does not look like, feel like, or smell like grace, love, and the worship of God. Now, what I don't mean is that you're all hall monitors. You're all the division police. And now you walk around the church and anyone who says something or gives a facial expression that seems divisive, you 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 uh, you cut off right away because that would actually defeat the whole point. You would then be the divisive person in the community bringing division. Paul, Paul doesn't wanna make us all police officers policing division. And he makes this really clear in Galatians 6 verse 1 when he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We are all called to fight for unity within the church, but always in a spirit of gentleness and a spirit of grace. Always with the intent to love and not harm, to build up and not to tear down. You know in recent years we had a story of a couple at here at Southlands who was bringing a lot of division and disunity in our church and they did so exactly like verse 18 says with smooth talk and flattery. They knew the Bible really well and they had a self-professed gift of prophecy and so they prayed for and prophesied over people often. And later we found out that a lot of those people reported these times of prayer made them feel uncomfortable and even spiritually attacked. They would use flattery all of the time. They'd saddle up to one elder and say, you're my favorite elder and I can only trust you. And then they'd saddle up to another pastor and say, you're my favorite teacher. I only really want to learn from you. In his commentary on the book of Romans, Author Thomas Schreiner says about the phrase, they don't serve God, but their own appetites this. He says these people, for these people, their religion is actually a camouflage for self-promotion. And after hours and hours of meeting with this couple and warning them and pointing out divisive behavior in theology, it was clear that this is exactly what was happening their religion was a camouflage for self-promotion. And when we did not profile their gifting or give them an opportunity to share on the stage, they actually would call down curses on the leaders for not profiling their gifts. Why? Well, because their smooth talk, whether shrouded in theology or a prophetic word, was aimed at satisfying their need to be liked, accepted, and respected. It wasn't about the Lord at all. It wasn't about serving God, it was about using God to bring about self-promotion. And Paul is charging us, you and I, to be on the lookout for these types of people and to avoid them. And it may take months for someone's true motives to emerge, but when they do, you and I are to have nothing to do with their divisive ways. Now, if Paul had ended this segment in verse 18, you and I, we'd probably be off the hook We wouldn't have to deal with the division in our own heart, but Paul continues, and with great skill, he turns the attention away from looking for division out there and destroying the division that exists in each and every one of our hearts. Look at verse 19 again. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is good. Is evil. Now Paul is talking to a group of obedient and faithful Christians. They, they serve the Lord so well that Paul says their obedience is known to everyone. People around the known world are gossiping about this church in Rome. Have you heard about the Christians in Rome? They're so faithful. They're so obedient. They have a reputation of loving and serving God. Lord, let that be so about Southland's church. But Paul still pleads with them and warns them about division. Why? Well, because division is something that is always going to be a risk. It's always going to be a temptation within the Christian community. You never graduate from fighting against and dealing with division in your own heart and in the lives of those around you. Fighting for unity is routine maintenance for the church. I mean, we never graduate from changing our oil, do we? You don't get to a point where you say, 65 years of changing my oil, I'm done. I'm just going to drive this baby. Or what about brushing your teeth? Hopefully not. Hopefully that's routine maintenance that you do at least twice a day. Why? Because it needs to happen. There needs to be a consistent purification and fighting for unity in the church is the same thing. According to the Bible, unity is not a secondary issue. It's a primary issue. It's the call of every Christian to fight for and destroy and to seek out disunity in the church. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no division among you. Church, we need to become experts at destroying disunity in our community. And that process starts in your own heart. Now, in John 13, 35, Jesus says this. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another can we just pause and take Jesus seriously for one minute? I mean, this truth is, this truth will shape the way that we love and communicate with other each other. Jesus is saying, if you are not unified in love, people cannot come to Jesus. If you don't love and care for and serve one another, if you don't have the The basis in the foundation of unity, your plea to the world to be reconciled to God is wasted. Think think about the basics of this. Our message is reconciliation. The gospel is, is this declaration that we know how to be made right with God. We have the answer to being put in right relationship. How on earth is anyone going to choose to believe we know how to be made right with God? if we are not made right with one another. Can you imagine anyone believing in someone who preaches reconciliation when he is an enemy of his own brother? So how do we root out division in our own hearts, knowing that this is the number one thing that Paul wants us to walk away with, In regards to the whole book of Romans, knowing that Jesus, it says, this is the baseline for people coming to know Christ, that you love one another and you're in unity. How do we deal with the disunity in our own hearts? Well, thankfully, the answer is really simple. And Paul has already given us the answer in verse 17. We need to seek and we need to destroy disunity in our own heart. So the first thing we need is to identify divisive behavior. You and I need to identify our own divisive behaviors. And that's because all division is essentially breaking trust. Anytime you break trust with someone, you introduce division into the church. And you can break trust in a lot of ways. You can gossip about people, you can lie, you can exaggerate, you can have harsh judgments. You can allow a root of bitterness to spring up and grow in your heart and even avoiding confrontation when you need to approach someone about an issue that you're having. All of that is ways, things that we need to identify, behaviors of ours that we need to identify that is pulling our church apart. A simple test to help you identify your destructive heart is to ask the question, Is what I'm about to share about this person going to paint them in a positive or a negative light? Or you can ask it a different way. Will the person I share this with think more or less highly of the person I'm about to talk about? Because if what you're sharing is going to paint someone in a negative light or it's um, going to make people think less highly of them, you are by definition separating people. You are putting a distance between how they think about one another and you're introducing division into the community. You know, I'm so thankful for moments in my life where people have approached me in love, in grace, in that gentle spirit that Galatians 6 talks about and warned me of ways that I was being divisive. I actually recently throughout uh, the last year had a moment where JD came to me and sat me down and in grace and love, he just began to talk to me about an aspect of my leadership, something that I was doing that was creating division within my team. And I was able to uh, apologize to JD, bring that person who I was leading in, apologize to them. And our relationships actually grew stronger. My relationship with JD grew because I trusted him and I appreciated the grace and the love and the gentleness with which he pointed out the disunity. And my relationship grew with the person I was leading because I was able to confess and repent for a way that I had not loved them the way Christ loved them. And the end of the situation was that we were all bonded closer and closer together. So firstly, we need to identify our divisive behavior. Secondly, we need to avoid and destroy them. It's not enough just to know, yeah, I have that tendency and it's not good. We need to then take that tendency to the Lord and to change. And arguably the most important thing in destroying these destructive tendencies that we have, and if you don't walk away with anything practical from this sermon but this, it would be a win, Only talk to people directly who you have an offense with. If you have an offense with someone, with everything within your power, only talk directly to that person about the offense. Don't spread that to other people. Don't share about it in life group. Don't post about it. Don't call people up and talk about what someone did to you. But go directly to that person and work that out. If we did that alone South Lynch Church we would save ourselves from a lot of disunity and we would have the joy and the peace that Paul talks about in being united in Christ. Secondly, we need to apologize just like I had to do with this person I was leading. When you when you understand and see ways that you have been an agent of disunity, please have the humility to go to both the person who you talk to about the offense and the person who offended you. Go to both parties and say, look, look, I shouldn't have been talking about what this person did. I'm sorry. And then go to that person and say, listen, I talked about something you did to someone else and I'm sorry. And and those patterns and habits will draw us closer and closer together as a church. And lastly, we need to start asking ourselves the deeper questions. Like, why do I share negatively about others? Because most of the time it's from a root of either fear or insecurity. Or what am I trying to prove about myself that I'm bringing disunity into the church? And and once we find answers to these big questions, we need to take them to God in prayer. And here's just two prayers that you could offer to God to help you process and work through disunity and division in your own heart. Lord, I don't want to put other people down so I feel better about myself. Spirit of God, take this desire from me. Or lastly, Father, forgive me for pointing out the sins of others in hopes that mine is kept secret. Teach me to confess my sins so I no longer seek atonement in the crucifixion of others." Dealing with division in our hearts is difficult, isn't it? I don't know if you feel heavy. I feel heavy. The truth that we're talking about, the truth that Paul talks about, is is not a shallow reality. It's a deep reality that affects us all. But dealing with division in our heart, it's difficult work, but it's the work of a Christian. It's the work of following the one who has forgiven us and pardoned us everything. it's, It's what it means to apprentice God who removed every obstacle so that we could know each other, a God who keeps nothing from us, a God who always lets us into relationship, a God who is ready to sit down at the table Paul has built in the book of Romans and have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know Paul gives a massive motivation for doing this work at the end of this section. In verse 20 he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. At first I thought that verse was very misplaced. It seemed almost random in this section about disunity. But then I remembered where disunity was sourced from. It's sourced ultimately from Satan. He is the master of disunity and division. In church, we have a promise in God's word that one day all disunity will end and you and I will be able to fellowship with one another in joy and the the brotherhood that God had always intended. And you know what? God's actually going to give us the pleasure of crushing evil. I would expect this text to say God, the God of peace will soon crush Satan, but it doesn't say that. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And so we look forward to that day where division is completely removed from our church and we can live in full harmony in celebrating the rich relationship that God always intended us to have. I want to make a few comments as we close out our time talking about seeking and destroying disunity in the church. And the first one is that Paul in the next three verses actually models for us, gives us a picture of what unity looks like within his team. He doesn't just teach about unity, he models it. Once you return back to your Bibles and look at verse 21 with me. Timothy, my fellow worker greets you. And so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. Turius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. I mean, in this one little greeting, you have Jews and you have Gentiles. You have city officials and you have pastors. You have apostles and you have church members. And they're all working together in unity, striving for the mission of of the gospel it's almost like paul is subtly saying listen i know the work of unity is hard i know seeking and destroying division in the church is difficult but you can do it by the power of the spirit you can do it because i have done it by god's grace in my team and the last thing that i want to point out is that paul says to us in these closing verses of Romans. Number one, seek and destroy division in the church. But number two, delight in the gospel of Jesus. Delight in the gospel of Jesus. God just doesn't want his church to avoid division as if the goal of faith was the absence of conflict. God wants the church to unite around his son Jesus. You know, Jesus is the thing, the person, the entity that brings unity to us as a church. Why don't you read the rest of Romans 16 with me as we start in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus, amen. You know, Paul here summarizes the key themes of Romans by writing a worship song. We often close our church services with a worship song and Paul closes his sermon with a worship song as well, And this worship song is all about glorifying the gospel of Jesus. Glorifying the work and the mission and the ministry of Jesus for the church. And like all good songs, it has these three key movements throughout it. The first movement is this. The first movement declares that the gospel of Jesus is able to get you through even the toughest of times. That no matter what you're going through, the gospel shows us that Jesus left the comfort and the security of heaven and suffered right alongside of you. So no matter how bad things are, God meets you in your suffering and he's able to give you the strength you need to get through. I love how the message says it. The message translates this, all of our praises rise to the one who is strong enough to make you strong. And so the first movement is this movement of trust declaring that the gospel is enough to get you through any situation. The second movement marvels that the gospel of Jesus fulfills the ancient promise to bring salvation to the whole world. The second part or aspect of this worship song is just stepping back and and looking at this book, the story of God's faithfulness and realizing that Jesus was the answer. To every problem in the Old Testament. Jesus is the answer. He's the one who purifies us so we can come to God. And not only just those who are ethnically Jewish, but anyone in the world can through Jesus have access to God and be obedient to God, therefore receiving the life and the beauty and the joy of being united, but worshiping God. I mean, Paul, if he was on this stage, he would be jumping up and down. He would be summoning the band. To, to sing louder and louder as he just declared the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. And the last movement demands that the wisdom of God's love be met with worship. All of this was according to God's profound wisdom so that you and I would come in to right relationship with him. So Southlands, let us fix our eyes as we close Romans on the worship of of Jesus. Let us unite around our love and passion for the name of Christ, and all our worldly differences will fade away. I want to close with a quote from Mother Teresa on the satisfying love of Christ that brings us peace with one another. She wrote in her book, No Greater Love When Jesus came into the world, he loved it with such great love that he gave his life for it. He wanted to satisfy our hunger for God. And what did he do? He made himself the bread of life. He became small, fragile, defenseless for us. Bits of bread can be so small that even a baby can chew it. Even a dying person can eat it. He became the bread of life to satisfy our hunger for God, our hunger for love. Don't you think we could... I don't think we could have ever loved God if Jesus had not come to us. So that we might be able to love God, he became one of us in all things except sin. If we have been created in the image of God, then we have been created to love because God is love. In his passion, Jesus taught us how to forgive out of love, how to forget out of humility. Find Jesus and you will find peace. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you have led our church through the Gospel of Romans. God, I pray that the time, the countless hours we spent studying and reading this book would change us. I pray, Father, that because we read and studied this book, Southlands would be a community where we seek and destroy division and we delight in the gospel of Jesus. I pray that as Paul would want, as you would want, Jesus, that we would be a community so united around the gospel, so fixated on the love that God had for us that our small earthly differences would melt away and we would be in unity around the person of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and do this by your power and your might, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.